Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Were to happen, and I also picked a medium where you really can't do that. If you're talking with someone for three hours, good luck trying to be something else. Like it's, I think you could fake it for a half hour. I, I definitely think you could do that, but just... Bending around for three hours, wherever the fuck, I don't, I don't know that that's possible. No, you'll get quickly exposed, which yeah. is why I respect your platform so much, because I'm going to use the term again, you know, cooking people in the sense of, you know, like you, you could cook a steak for 10 minutes at Denny's and be like, here you go, but like you, you got to slow cook something, like a ribeye, that takes time, that takes like a good half hour to marinate and grill and... It's got to be good, right? Yeah. That's how you're going to get stuff out of people by, again, making them comfortable in that regard. And to kind of touch back on, you know, being a real version of yourself and putting yourself out there as you because you know who you are as opposed to someone thinking that they know who they are, wanting to be someone who they want to be, but that's not really who they are. Like that'll fizzle out quick, you know, like the, the, the big question here is how disciplined are you to get to where you want to be and who you want to be? Right. While staying true to yourself and because you're either going to determine this is who I am and I'm going to keep going down this route no matter what anybody thinks or you're going to be who you are and people are going to be like, I don't like that. And they're going to be like, yeah, that was stupid. You know, that sucked. And then you're just going to revert back into being this fake ass bitch that just cowers to everybody's move because that's that's the status quo. That's what people want you to be, you know. I, what I what I want to be careful with, though, anytime I'm talking about something like this from like a personal experience, is that we tend to then weaponize it as the people who don't want to do something on their own or start something are like, what the fuck is wrong with you? That's not the case, man. People have to be really honest about what they want. So I know some of the happiest friends I know are talented guys who make solid money and like they never want to start something on their own. They married when they were 25, and they married the love of their life. You know, they married someone they were with for eight years. Love that. They're very comfortable in their skin. They're happy. They know where they are. They know where they want to be. They have their priorities in life. To me, that's the dream. Even if they do it differently than I ever would want to, that's because I'm me and they're them. But that doesn't make me right or them right. It's, no. it's, all, it's a very, very personal thing. And I think a lot of times we start to create this whole, well, if you're not at the top of it, then what's the point? And that's not, that to me is completely unfair. And, I'm, and there's a lot of people listening right now who I'm sure are not in their head going, fuck yeah, because I, I love my life. I work here for this company or whatever. I get to do this. I have this life at home. Like, that's amazing. Good. That's exactly what you should go for then. You know, and there are a lot of people that try to separate society in that way. And, and it's not right because society is supposed to be made up of all different types of people who play all different types of roles. It doesn't mean that like, you know, you want to encourage someone to just be a trash man, 
But maybe there's someone out there who fucking loves that job. That's okay. Yeah. That's great. And if they make enough money and they're smart with it and, and they got a, a good husband or good wife, whatever it is, awesome. You know, like to me, I, I, I always try to check that because like even I'm sure sometimes when I say things, it can come across the other way. And I don't want to do that because it's not it's not representative of culture itself. That said, there are a lot of people who do think that they want or maybe actually do want to do something on their own or start something. And they're just not built for it. In that sense, though, of what you just said, like, do you surround yourself with people? Do you trust the people that you surround yourself with enough to actually take their advice on that? Like, maybe you're not cut out for this. Yes. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I was kinda... Even if you, like, deep down in your heart, like, I, I'm being almost called to do this. Like, I have to accomplish this. And everybody's around you saying, like... Like, you tried, like, we support you in anything that you do. We'll support you if you keep trying. Just know that, like, you could be doing something so much better. That's one of the hardest situations there is. And I haven't had to face that. I hope I never have to. No, you're still young. That means I probably won't be good enough at whatever it is. But there is such a balance between conviction and criticism. And then there's even a balance between criticism and doubt. And then there's a balance between doubt and reality. And these are all some of the finest lines out there. And I think it's the hardest thing to be self-aware of, and I can't say if I am or I'm not as a result. Mm. I'd like to think on some things I do have a massive self-awareness, but overall all four of those or three of those that I just mentioned combined together – I don't know that anyone has the ability to have 100% self-awareness. So it is a risky walk in that way. But (sighs) it's hard because you kind of have to, again, to go back to validation in a sense. You know, I asked you earlier if five years from now your platform didn't really grow. Like you looked at that as, okay, uh, my audience saw what I was doing. It didn't work out. It wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. Period. Or some people might say I have to accomplish what I have to accomplish or else what's the point you know like I put in all this work this is what I love to do and I have to accomplish it or else like I will accomplish this or I will die trying in that sense right and to kind of touch on that you're saying that you're kind of blind in that sense you're not seeing the wider picture like you're chasing something that just people aren't reacting to People aren't. No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I, that would be taking it too far. Yeah, that's, that's not. <sighs> I don't. It's hard for me to answer because I've only ever been in my head. Mm-hmm. I only know how I see the world exactly, and what my thought process is, my capabilities, my lack of capabilities. I don't know what it's like to actually fully be someone else and how their wiring and their brain is and how it's different. Right. So it is very hard for me to sit here and say, this is how it is. And so I won't say it like that. I do think that far more often than not, if there is something, I mean, you have to have some talent. There's got to be some. And and this is a really mean way to put it, but like, if you're in a wheelchair, you're not going to go to the NBA, right? That's a reality. There has to be a level of 
possibility to it, I guess, is the real word I'm looking forward to or, or looking for. But if that is the case and you have some ability in it, I do believe that a significant percentage of the time, if you are actually serious and willing to die for it, you know, quote unquote, then you probably are to a, to an extent that is enough. Have you probably have a ceiling that is good enough to make it, quote unquote, and whatever that is, and however the term "make it" is, assuming it's at least fair and not yeah. ridiculous. Like I'm going to be the next Marlon Brando, as long as it's not like number one in the world in that sense for everyone. Then I think that people will break through because hungry dogs will find a way to eat to survive. That doesn't mean it's going to be true every time. And the reason I think it is true, though, more often than not, is because in order to actually be that crazy and rabid about it, you deep down, beyond just what you've convinced yourself of, you actually have to believe that you have the talent. And that's where one of those fine lines is because do I think some people can literally fully honestly convince themselves that they do and they just don't have any of it? Yes. But I think time, the longer the time you do it and the more iterations and the more ability to face failures and find measurable improvements on top of that that you have, the more inevitable that self-awareness will become. And by self-awareness meaning realizing whether or not you have the minimum threshold to actually make it or not. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, you'll look back at the first podcast you ever did and compare it to now and be like, okay, I'm definitely way better than I am than when I started. Yeah, I can even watch And if you look back at, you know, episode 100 compared to episode one and think like, hmm, I kind of have the same mannerisms, still as monotone as I was during episode one, still not comfortable in front of a camera, then yeah, you got to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, am I cut out for this? Like there's that old quote, like if you um, if you want to succeed as much as you want to breathe, then you will succeed, Yeah. right? But at the same time, if you're not getting any better and you can't see it and everybody around you sees it and they're watching you slowly decay and like almost killing yourself in a sense, trying to get it over, like that's that's a dangerous position to be in. There are outliers sometimes. Oh, yeah. I mean, here's one I was dead wrong about, dead wrong about it, and I'll give him all the credit in the world. And I never said it publicly because it was long before this podcast, but I said it to people, and I'll correct the record all the time. I was always very obsessed with the fact that so many people with attention are the last to know. Mm. So the athlete himself or herself is the last to know they've lost a step. Right. They're the last to realize, you know, I was scoring 30 points a night. Father time has gotten to me, and I can really only be effective at that level scoring 21. And so they still try to be the guy scoring 30 a night. Right. And it actually hurts the team because they're over-maximizing what they can actually do. Yeah. And so one guy that I say is an outlier here, and this is why it's important to say, is Carmelo Anthony. When Carmelo Anthony went to the Rockets two years ago, two, two, three years ago, whatever it was, and the Rockets famously, whatever the big story was, they cut him after 10 games. I would say 
unquestionably the data because they were a big analytics team. And also the eyes said that they were 100% right to do that. Carmelo Anthony looked cooked. He could still knock down down a shot because the guy's an incredible scorer. But when I tell you he was the worst defensive liability I have ever seen above the height of five foot ten on an NBA floor, that's putting it kindly. And if you went and looked at the data analytics of his defense, I mean, James Harden coming back from the strip club and walking straight onto the court in game 45 of a regular season game was significantly better at defense than Carmelo Anthony. Mm-hmm. So I looked at that, and I saw Carmelo putting out all these tweets like, oh, I'm going to train, I'm coming back, whatever. And I was like, here's another example. He's the last guy to know. He was a great player. We just don't have it anymore. He's not that guy. But to Carmelo Anthony's credit, and I would love to look him in the eyes one day and say, thank you for the inspiration for proving me 100% wrong. He went in the gym and changed certain styles about his game And also, I'm sure his body and physicality, even stuff we can't really see. And if you look at the analytics, he came back a year later. And his defensive analytics, he's he's like an average defender, which is fine. Because guess what? He's still a great offensive, very good offensive player. Mm -hmm. So any team can look at him and be like, oh, he's helping. So the Trailblazers signed him. He helped. Now the Lakers signed him for this season. As long as he hasn't lost a step again or whatever, he's going to help. Yeah, And yet, even though I say all that, he's the exception. Because most of the time, they just don't know. They don't realize that, like Allen Iverson, guy I love, he lost a step when he went to Detroit. We could see it. Then he signs with Memphis the next year, and he thinks he's AI. You know, 15 years dating back to when he was a great player in high school of being the smallest guy on the court and playing like the biggest dude and throwing your body around and putting the team on your back catches up to you. And so he's running around with the Grizzlies trying to be Allen Iverson. He's not Allen Iverson. And goddamn, it's, it's, it's very hard to tell someone who already has tasted that that they're not that anymore. Right. Imagine how hard it is to tell someone they're never even going to have the chance. That's tough. Yeah, I I think you nailed it right on the head with Carmelo Anthony. I'll give you another sports, you know, example. Jorge Posada. I grew up a huge New York Yankee fan in northern New Jersey. Are you a Phillies fan? Yes, sir. Okay. So, just to clarify, um, Jorge Posada, great catcher in the prime of his career, right? Phenomenal. Six-time All-Star with the Yankees, 07, 08, 09, 2010. Is he in the Hall of Fame yet? No, he, uh, in his first year on the ballot, didn't make the percentage, and they kicked him off the ballot. He only got 4% of the vote, so he's not even eligible anymore. Posada. Yeah. Crazy, right? That's criminal. Again, a crazy talent. Probably one of the best catchers in baseball in the prime of his career. Towards the end, you could tell he just was not the same player, was not the same hitter. I remember in the prime of my formative years, I'm like, bases loaded, one out, who's coming up? Oh, fuck. Jorge, always grounded into an inning-ending double play. It's like almost every single game. And it got to the point where um, I think it was Jose Molina was the backup pitcher. They made him the full-time catcher because Posada couldn't hack it anymore behind the plate. It became a full-time DH, but he still felt like he was good enough to be a full-time catcher. And I think everybody realized, even us watching at home at seven, eight years old, it's not the same player he was probably in his prime. 
and it took him a few years to realize that to the point where after 2011, uh, his contract was up, and the Yankees were like, we're not going to re-sign you. Like, it was a great run. We appreciate and thank you for all the great times, five-time World Series champion, but you're just not cut out for this. We have to go in another direction. He goes, if you're not going to re-sign me, I'm going to go play for someone else. And they're like, that's fine. We can't re-sign you. And in that moment, he's like, oh, fuck, they're serious. And he looked at himself in the mirror, talked to his family, and he retired. Even though he still felt like he had plenty left in the tank, he finally, it finally hit him like a brick wall, like, oh, my God, like, they actually don't want me. It took an organization he loved having the and heart respected. to tell him, look, we could pay, the Yankees could afford to pay him a couple million dollars. Right, he's like, you're, you're bluffing. That's basically what he thought. We're but, bluffing. But, it's like, that's fine. We can't, we're not going to invest in you anymore. And he's like, oh. Because they don't, they don't want to, you don't want to see someone bake out too long in the sun, especially when they mean a lot to your organization. You don't want that with friends either. Nope. It's a really weird, it's an uncomfortable thing, but there's, there's those lines I talked about and you have to have some sort of. You have to be able to step out and be like, all right, this is not, this has got to get better. Or like, am I, should I do that? And like, I question that stuff all the time and it tortures me, but I'm thankful that I do because it's much better than the alternative. Maybe I wouldn't be tortured all the time, but I'd be sitting there like, going about life, going about what I'm With doing. no real vision or goal. And no. Just happy to be there. No ability to self-reflect and self-criticize right. and try new things and whatever. Right. You know, and like people can have the best of intentions around you too and take you the wrong way. And like parents are so common with that. Parents' job is, th- it's like to look out for you. You know, so they're, they're more wired towards worrying on things. So like sometimes, sometimes my dad will have great criticism of the podcast. And I'm like, oh, actually that's, that's, that's a good one. And it's like light. And then sometimes I'm like, no, you're out of your fucking mind. You have no idea what you're talking about. Because he doesn't. You know, he's not in understanding oh, yeah. of the full demographics right. and whatever. And it's more from a place of worry. Like, you have to take chances making content. You have to try things. And anytime I try something new, my dad, like something small, my dad will be like, no. And I'm like, if I don't try these things and sustain them, how am I going to know? And then over time I get the show, I'm like, see? Told you. Yep. And sometimes it's like, hey, that one, yeah, I stopped that. That didn't work. Yeah. But you have to yeah, you have to do it. People will prevent you from just doing to learn. You know, like you have to you have to iterate. Whether that be, you know, you talk about people who just go about every day like, oh, I'm just gonna go to the bar, hang out, no real goals, you know. If that suits you, that suits you. You know, like I I consider that atmosphere like me doing what i do and having a vision for what i want to do like that would be a toxic crowd to be a part of because like they have no real goals how am i supposed to get better if nobody like actually really cares what they're doing but then there's you know the other side of things where like you're associating yourself with the people who were intended to help you grow like not considered to be toxic people in that nature you know like like like-minded people who are giving you plenty of advice but you kind of like outgrow each other and that's a difficult mm. thing, too. Have you ever gone through something like that where, like, it wasn't necessarily like you were, like, in a bad relationship with someone, but, like, you just outgrew each other? I feel like that's yes. way more difficult than leaving a toxic environment. 
I agree. And I think it's a case-by-case basis because yeah. there are people... There's, like, some of my best friends. Yeah. Totally different priorities in life. Completely different priorities. Right. And they're my homies because they respect mine and I respect theirs and we're good. Right. Those are great friends. It's not have. a breakup. It's more yes. of, like, we understand where we're all coming no, from. No, no. Right? I'm even talking about where it doesn't change anything and you don't really? leave it behind at all. Like, some of my best friends to this day, very, very different. I'll give it my, my buddy Dylan. He and I, we think about plenty of things, like, similarly. Yeah. Like, when we talk every single day of my life, like, on, on some sort of small scale. But, like, you want to talk about someone who does things behind closed doors and is just no attention, just whatever, who doesn't, you know, he doesn't listen to fucking podcasts. Right. Total opposite. But he respects what I do, and I respect exactly. what he does. That's the key factor. And so we support each other on it, and we can also both be, like, a little critical of, like, what one person's doing on stuff. And then also things that we do have in common about life and stuff like that. We always talk about that. That's great. The problem is a lot of people don't do it like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people fade because they're like, man, why are you doing that? Because their way is right. Right. And you are at danger of being that way, too. That's why I... Try to, like, always separate that and be like, listen, I'm doing this. Other people think that's dumb. So don't think that what they're doing is dumb because you're just doing the same thing if you do that. Yep. It's, it's hard. Sometimes, you know, I'm not perfect with that. I'm definitely, I'm sure there's sometimes where I don't notice it, where I judge on something because someone does it differently. And right. It's a tough balance. Yeah. But at the same time, like, your perspective is not their perspective. Right. And you got to recognize that. Not everybody thinks the same way. I wish we could recognize that in politics. Just to tie a bow on that. That'll never happen, Julian. No. I don't like saying never, but I still say it sometimes. And I feel like... That's the one exception. We never say never, but never for a while. There are some weird things happening, though, right now. Like weird cyclones of like... (laughs) What's it called? Like an unholy alliance? Like, now you see suddenly, like, BLM is allied with, like, ultra-libertarians on the vaccine because now they have something in common. And just latched onto them, yeah. You're sitting back like, wait a second. (laughs) Six months ago, even, (laughs) you two wanted each other dead. Right. And now, like, we're so fucked up with so many different hills to die on that the latest hill— Will even push a cyclone of people around. Yeah. You know? I don't know how we got there, but you said something. That just triggered made, you. Yeah, made me think of that. I have that capability sometimes. You, you do, man. You, I, I like what you do. I, I like... I respect people that have been doing it a long time, and you. It, it's not like you've turned the full focus to it at this point. I hope that you do sometime soon. I know you're doing a lot of it, but, like, you do other things. And yeah. You're paying the bills in other ways, and right. it's just, like, what you do for fun. But, you know, you're a very curious guy. And I, I guess a, a big question I would want to know is how do you decide overall who to talk to? I know you mentioned maybe it was before the podcast or on it. You were saying, like, obviously some people just get 
thrown your way and you're like, okay, whatever, that sounds interesting. I'll talk to him. But like when you're reaching out, when you're reaching out to me or you're reaching out to the guy who came before me or the guy who came before that. Yeah. Are you thinking of it in a pattern of like, well, I just talked to two people like this and so now I want to talk to this type of person. Or are you thinking of it like there's certain groups of people you want to talk to and others you don't? Or are you just kind of like, all right, let's... Uh, I think you have the capability to learn something from everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a broker, if you're a host, you know, like us alike, if you're a homeless person on the street, you know, that might be a tough pill for some people to swallow. Like, I think you could learn from everybody. So when I, when I see stuff, whether it be on social media, like I saw your content, started following you, started following what you did. You had one of my buddies on, I'm like, oh. Like, we we have a mutual friend. I'm going to reach out because I want to pick your brain about what you do because we're in that same realm. Like, you're a very curious person. You you have a ton of beliefs that you go out of your way to showcase, you know, on a weekly basis. And you don't give an F what people think. And that's, like, that's inspiring, right? And I I wanted to pick your brain about some of that stuff because I loved some of the interviews that you've done. Uh, there's others, yeah, some people reach out to me and it's like, okay, I don't think I really want to have a conversation with that person. This other person sounds great. Like I, I definitely love to pick their brain about some of those acting experiences with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. Sure. Why not? Like there's definitely something there that you're proud of. Um, obviously other celebrities growing up watching like, oh, I'd love to get a chance to talk to them. And then we have a great conversation. There's some people I grew up watching that I had conversations with. They were total dickwads. Yeah. And now I know, you know, like some people are like, don't meet your heroes because you never know. Like, why why not? Now you're exposed to it. Now, you know, oh, it's not all about that. You know, it's about being a decent human being, first and foremost. Doesn't matter what you believe in. Doesn't matter what your religion is. Doesn't matter what your your political stance is, you know, like be a decent human being. Don't be a dick. Like, that's the only thing I look at at people. But, yeah, I, I enjoy talking to people from all over the place. Growing up in sports, love talking to athletes. Huge rock and roll guy, love talking to rock stars, love talking to actors, actresses, um, uh, human right, rights activists. Talk to, um, uh, what was her name? Yeno Park, who wrote that book, uh, North Korean human rights activist. She was, she was actually she was, on she was on Rogan. Yeah. Yep. Like, you talk just, with her? Um, very briefly, you know, she gave me about a half an hour of her time and I asked her what I was curious about, you know, not a comfortable conversation, but a conversation nonetheless. That's how you grow. Right. What did, what did she say with you? Uh, just basically talking about, you know, some of, I don't know if you watched that full interview with Rogan. I watched that full one. Talking about, you know, Kim Jong-un and how he displayed North Korea, like basically lying about it. Right. And how everybody was just starving there. People were being eaten as they were dying by flies and rats. Do you imagine witnessing that? No. It's one thing to imagine that. It's another thing to actually witness that as you're escaping, like she did. And for her to go out of her way to write a book about it and at the same time talk about it, and you could hear in the base of her voice how emotional she is about it, reliving those times constantly over and over again in these interviews. It was a tough, tough conversation to have. And in interviews like that, you know you have to ask the right questions and be pol- like polite and respectful because it's sensitive stuff. But as an interviewer, um, you know, you have to take that into account. You know, read the book, you know, had to be well-informed to know what is going through her mind and why she wants to 
promote it to the best capability as she does because it's my responsibility as a host. Like like you said, like you come on and like with people like me or other people that you, you bring in here, it's easy to just have a conversation and we'll see where it goes. But like in that situation, you you got to be prepared because it's easy to have a conversation about it if you're knowledgeable about it. But if you casually say one bad thing, sets your sets your guest off and it comes off as disrespectful, right? Yeah, I see what you're saying with that. I, I In think, a situation like yes, that. I think there's an extent to which I've had a couple of those where it's some clear experiential stuff. Not on that level. And it's all not great like experiences, her. though. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying, like, for hers personally, not on that level. I do think there is an element of having... I'll agree with you. I think you have to have some preparation for a general understanding of where the evil exists or the wrong existed, whatever the situation is. In this case, we're talking about a government and country and, you know, a dictatorship and having some understanding of what that is and not being completely blind to it. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with you. I, I would... If she had resources available, if I were talking to her, yeah, I'd probably review a few of those before. Right. I, I, I think that's I, – I think when you're dealing – to make your point again, I, I, I think when you're dealing with things that are so unbelievable if you didn't experience them yourself in a, in a negative way, you have to do your best to have at least whatever possible empathy you could have for that ahead. Like, even watching Rogan, he d- did a great job with it, you know? Give him all the credit in the world. But the amount of times he said, wow, that's crazy. Like, you, you know, like, when someone says, wow, that's crazy, and you just think, oh, you're not that interested? It's like the quote-unquote thing to say. I, I think that's just his nature. I, I didn't... I thought... I, I will say, I, I thought that was pretty masterful on his part, the way that one went down. I see what you're saying. I, I, I agree. I don't think yeah, he I, I, came off that way. I'm just saying that's kind of the general sense. Like if you and I were having a conversation, and I just went, wow, that's crazy. And then there was dead air for five seconds. It's like, oh, was he really interested in what I was saying right there? I think it's sitting across from him and knowing if you're looking at him, if he is. Just There's people the who vibes, can look at you yeah. and go, wow, that's crazy. And look at you just like that. And like they just said that because they're like, well, yeah. what can I say next? And then there's people who are like, wow. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Wow. It, like, and that's that. That's an mo of his. That's what he does. I right. I, I guess you have to feel out the vibe yeah, in the room. Yeah. It's it, yeah. It's a vibe, but that's that's really cool that you talk with her. And it's crazy to me that her story gets shut down. But it doesn't surprise me at all. It's just like follow the money, man. That's, all that's where it all stems back to. But yeah, like to answer your question, like interviews like that, like. They're hard, but they help me grow, you know? Like, those are conversations I could look back on and be like, man, like, I'm glad I had that conversation. I'm glad she walked away with it feeling, you know, respected. She got her points across, and she actually, like, respected me enough to take the time to talk to me. Because that's what it's all about, you know? Like, getting to that next level, in a sense. Like, we're talking about you wanting to be the best, again, at what you do. And eventually, you're going to get to a point where you interview or going to want to interview bigger names, just mm-hmm. out of curiosity, ask mm-hmm. them shit that they don't normally get asked, you know, whether they're on Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, all these tonight shows or on 
even Rogan, you know, like four-hour platform, like you want to ask them stuff that they're not normally talking about. That That's what differentiates you as an interviewer, right? So it's fun getting to talk to all these different people. I, I would say this, though, um, it has definitely taken a longer time growing the show just because it didn't have a niche. And that's by design, right? Like your show... You know, you talk to you want to talk to a wide variety of people. I'm my the same only, way to my show. Yeah, my only niche is long form content. That's exactly. Right. There's no like everyone's saying. Oh, you gotta have like if you're a real estate agent, you have to have a show based on that. That's how money's gonna come quick and a loyal fan base is gonna come quick. I'm like, I wanted to do what I wanted to do, and starting young, I was able to do that. Yeah. Starting as a freshman in college, like I was making money elsewhere, so I had time to grow it. And by the time I got it out of school. Get a studio, get a huge sponsor with a huge affiliation, and now we're rocking and rolling because I put in the time and effort and unknowingly, blindly. I'm like, I want to do a podcast because I want to be a talk show host. Like, it would be cool to have a platform to talk to people, be curious enough to ask them questions, and selfishly learn more things that I didn't know. You know, because, again, going into it, I was just a big baseball fanatic. Really had no knowledge on anything else. And I've turned into a completely different pe- person with a ton more, um, not just knowledge, but a general sense of awareness, I'd say, when talking to people. Like, four years ago, I wouldn't be able to sit down and hash things out with you for three hours on anything that we've talked about so far. So it's partially because you're forced to be civil. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can't, you're not forced to. I, you, could, you could be an asshole. But people, especially when they're in the eyes of other people watching, you don't want to do that. Now, it doesn't mean if someone doesn't say some really stupid shit, you shouldn't come right back at them. I haven't had to do a ton of that in here, luckily. But I wouldn't hesitate for one second doing that. But if your disposition is more confrontational, for the sake of getting a moment or just being that way to do whatever. Hey, more power to you, but that's not, that's not what I'm looking for. And obviously it's not what you're looking for. I'm curious though. What, is there anyone like, cause you've done so many, that's why I'm thinking about this a lot, but was, did, did you ever have like a shocking guest? Like someone was like, oh, you got done and you're like, holy shit. Like maybe not even for the right reasons. Good reasons or bad reasons? You know what? Both. Um, definitely, I interviewed Dave Matthews from the Dave Matthews Band. And if you know anything about, like, his fan base, it's like a cult almost. Totally, yeah. My family being a part of that cult. <laughs> um, me, not necessarily, but I got to interview him at a festival one time backstage. And he just was in a bad mood, I think. Mm. Uh, very unorthodox. An unorthodox fella, for sure. Um, just the way he presents himself, the way he talks, just like, I don't know, not socially aware with some things. I don't think he's from America either. So, um, but I mean, I, um, I didn't get a memo that we weren't allowed to record audio for these. It all had to be pen and paper. Cause I was, uh, at a, I was, I had a press pass to write an article about the event. So everything I had to write down and then write it down on my laptop later. So for whatever reason, we weren't allowed to record audio. I, I still think that's weird because it's easy. It's easier to do that as opposed to writing everything down that they're saying. So I didn't know that. So I immediately put my phone, like, you know, in his face, like, just to record the audio. Not, like, in his face, but just enough to where, like, I'd pick up 
his vocals. Mm -hmm. And I start asking him the questions I have prepped and immediately, without any thought, just whips his hand out, knocks the phone out of my hand, completely shatters my phone. He's like, no, 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 we're not going to have any of that. I'm like, what's going on? And his publicist came up to me. She's like, we're not allowed to record audio. Did Nobody told you that? You shattered your phone? Not to the point where it was completely broken, but enough to where it it bummed me out. Cracked your whole screen and everything. It didn't replace it. I just replaced my phone like two weeks ago. I dealt with that phone for the past year and a half. Completely He didn't replace it. He did not. It was never even offered by anybody. And I, I picked up the phone. I'm like, all right, sorry. It brought out a pen and paper, asked three simple questions. He didn't really give me any answers, and then he left to do his show. And I'm thinking, like, what a dick. And I told my, parent, I told my family about it, and they're just like, again, being huge Dave Matthews fans, well, did you piss him off? <laughs> what did you do? It was, was your it his, fault. Was it your body language? What, what did you do? Why'd you put the phone in his face? <laughs> did you not know there was any audio? I'm like, okay, relax. Oh, my God. I, well, first of all, depending on the artist, it's never – I blame the publicist for letting him record an interview right before a show. That's a horrible idea for most artists. Right. Some, He's not in the mindset care. to do some an interview, care. right? But, but people, people can be – especially, like, creatives, they can be weird. You know, like, they're, they have their – do you ever seen Look, Mom, I Can Fly? No. Travis Scott documentary? Oh, yes, yes, yes. One of my favorite documentaries ever, yeah. and it's – completely not in the style i like it's like literally a home video camera just following them no narrative normally like when i first started watching it i was like fuck this i turned it off after three minutes and then like six months later i went in. i'm like all right let me try it and i'm like riveted because it was it was so real yeah but there's a scene in there that i think perfectly nails what it is sometimes where someone's not and i'm not saying this is what was happening with dave because that just you're sounds, in the cult too aren't you no i'm not at all but i'm saying that just sounds awful like what he did. So maybe he was having the worst day ever, maybe not, but that just sounds bad. But when it comes to like a level of like abrasiveness on certain things, there's a scene in Look Mom, I believe I can flirt. I got the name wrong, right? Yeah, there, there's a scene in Look Mom, I Can Fly, which is that, that, that Travis Scott documentary. And he says he's standing in his, his hotel room outside of Madison Square Garden because he had a show there that night and he has the head of production at Madison Square Garden standing right next to him. Now, mind you, this is like the cathedral of arenas in the world. Mm. This guy who's the head of production there is clearly one of the best in the world at what he does. But Travis Scott is, if not the best performer in the world, he's one of them and he is so exact with every little thing that happens mm. for the experience. That's why people who go to his concerts, his concerts themselves are like a little cult because people and I mean that in a positive way. People are just totally encaptured by what he does. He's been arrested for inciting a riot before when he didn't incite a riot because it's so insane. And so there was something with him being dropped down into the stage for a song with some sort of concoction and the lighting where the timing of the lighting coming onto him and the beam of it wasn't what he was envisioning. And so you see, I think he was like shirtless in his hotel room, Travis Scott, like not looking at anyone, just like talking like, when I'm up there, that light's got to be coming on. Like, you're going to hear me say bump, and then I need you right there going bump. And it's on. Like, it's, it's right there. And, and, and they, if they're up in that part of stands right there, they see me coming down like, boom, right in your face. 
Because if they come in like two seconds after, it's fucked. It's done. Doesn't work. And you see the guy, the Madison Square Garden guy, is being professional as hell. And he's like, no, I got you. I got you. And, and he's listening. And you're watching this and you're almost uncomfortable because you're like, this guy's being a dick right now. Like, holy shit. But then he just kind of keeps going and he's like, so that motherfucker's got to be on. Like that time in two seconds, just like I said, it's going to come on right here. I'm going to come down. We're going to hit the song. Boom. We're good. Then we're going to roll into the next one. And everyone's still looking at him and he's like, all right, you got it? We good? All right, thank you. You're doing a great job. I appreciate you, man. Mm-hmm. And walks out and everyone understood it. It wasn't, yo, this guy's a dick. It wasn't, this artist sucks. Shut the fuck up. What do you know? I'm the pro. Stop talking to me like I'm a child. It was... No, this guy's just, like, really creative, and he's not thinking about how he's saying things right now. He is picturing this wild yeah. scene in his head, and he's passionate and just getting it out. And then at the end, it's like he ends his blackout and wakes up and is like, okay, thank you. You're doing a great job. I appreciate you guys. Walks out, and it's understood. There's a difference between that and just being an asshole and being, like, a bad person. And to me, unfortunately, it sounds again, maybe he was having a bad day, but that's fucked up. No, I understand it from a mentality standpoint. Like you have so much going on, like you want it to be perfect. Like I would not want to put my phone in Travis Scott's face that day, you know, but like how easy is it for Dave Matthews just to be like, "Hey man, can't do that. Please put your phone away." Yeah, very easy. Very easy. So that was a bad experience. Give me a good one now. Let's get a positive. Um, Rob Schneider, comedian, SNL actor. That's awesome. You know, part yeah. of that whole Sandler, Farley, Chris Rock era. Um, and again, like I gone, I was preparing for it, like kind of anxious. I'm like, he's a big name. Hopefully, he's not like. I didn't expect him to be an asshole, but like at the same time, you don't want him to be like, "Hey, man, what's going on? Thanks for having me." You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, all right, now I have to like set the stage, get him in his element. Right off the bat, he's like, Jack, handsome man, what's going on? <laughs> I'm like, yes, he's cool. That's this is going to awesome. be so easy. He, he basically was just like interviewing me. He's like, you play sports? I'm like, why'd you start the podcast, everything? He's like, yeah, I'm out here in Nashville doing a set, you know, and, and we, got, we were talking about like bench warmers, you know, the baseball aspect yeah. of it. He's like, oh, yeah, getting Reggie Jackson for all of that. He's like, yeah, I'd love to do it, you know, like hitting uh, um, mailboxes in the back of a pickup truck for some of the scenes. Like he was just all about it. He's like, oh, dude, I had to ice my arm every single day. <laughs> and at the end of it. Was that the one where he's going? You can do it. Yeah. That's how we ended the interview. I'm like, oh, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks for being gracious enough to do it. We got to do this again sometime. He's like, absolutely, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Just remember, you can do it. And then he hung up the phone. And then he ended the Zoom call. I'm like, that was amazing. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, and he gave me so so much great advice. He's like, yeah, me and Spade are doing a movie out in Scottsdale where you're at at some point in the fall. Like, I'll give you the contact info for the producer. You should get on it, you know, on crew. Oh, that's you awesome. You know, like, if, you, if you're a film major and that's something that you want to pursue, like, here, like, contact him. I'm like, thanks, Rob Schneider. Like, I, I didn't, again, didn't expect him to be a dick, but, like, I walked away from that inspired almost. Like, you're a big yeah. name. You, you didn't have to be that kind to me, you know? Like, you didn't know who I was going in. This could have been just a standard interview, and you were, again, like, in great enough of a mood to go out of your way and actually help me, like, give me knowledge, you know, g- give me a bit of a, a lecture, in a sense. So that was cool. You expected an aura. You kind of expect an aura sometimes. Like, okay, no they've done a million him. interviews yeah. before. Like, it's my job to ask questions that actually intrigue you. Another one, uh, Kobe Smulders. She was Robin Scherbatsky in How I Met Your Mother. Okay. Um, was in some of the Marvel movies as well. 
her character is just like a stone cold bitch and how I met your mother. I'm thinking like, oh, she's going to be <laughs> like, not mean, but again, in the same regard, just like cold at the beginning. Now it's going to be on me to start the conversation. She was so nice. Like That's the awesome. sweetest. I'm like, just totally like lived up to like, again, like one of my favorite TV characters of all time, like totally lived up to the aura. So nice. She's just like, oh, thank you so much. Asking her controversial questions about the show. Like, because the uh, the ending of the show is very controversial in a lot of people's eyes. And I came right at her. I'm like, you know, like, the the ending of the show, you know, a lot of fans are kind of, like, wishy-washy about it. She's like, oh, a lot of people thought it sucked. Like, well, let's, <laughs> well, let's talk about it. And she was great That's about awesome. it. Like, gave, like, an in-depth, like, 10-minute response to it about how this is how it ended up. This is how the, the writers and the directors wanted to start it. And this is the solution we came up with. Like, and if you didn't like it, you didn't like it. You know, could we have done it? differently yeah but you know that's the way it was owning it i love that so yeah i mean i've been fortunate enough you know again i talked to some mental health coaches some business entrepreneurs um sean prez who was the agent for p diddy for the longest time just talking about all the shit he had to eat before he got to the point of where he is now as a big time you know a music producer um it's just some of the stories that I've heard, I've walked away from like, oh my God, like I almost had to cancel today because I had to go to class or like wasn't feeling it mentally, like didn't start off my day right, you know, but then I go into a conversation and I leave inspired. Like that's what I aspire to do after every interview, leave walking away inspired and hopefully for some guests moving forward, maybe not some of those bigger celebrities, but for other people that I have conversations with, I want them to walk away with a similar experience. Yeah, you get there. And, and people catch that vibe regardless of if you're just starting out or, or someone who has been doing it a long time like you. And you're also young too, so right away yeah. there's a judgment there. But then people are like, oh, that was, the, that was comfortable. That guy was cool. And, and that's – you know what? Most of them – that's even if they're not the best person, like that's they're still they're still a person. They they have very basic, you know, certain things. There's there's just a different level of attention they're forced to deal with on a day to day basis, and some deal with it better than others. You right. know, but I, I think there has to be more people telling the stories of the people who are like a Rob Schneider who yeah. just like imagine that how many people like if you see Rob Schneider he's so recognizable he's yeah. one of, he's a celebrity you know that oh that's Rob Schneider and I'm sure that happens to him all the time and yet he can still kind of be that guy and and not just be like oh fuck here here we go again yeah and I, by the way I don't blame some of these people for thinking that I see it like you know people are really funny with people they get starstruck they just go interrupt them when they're doing something with their family. Uh, yeah. That shit's... Uh, that would drive me nuts. It would drive me nuts. So sometimes when we hear about a celebrity handling something wrong, I get it. And I'm like, you know, I'd like to see you make it right because the person didn't have bad intentions who led you to do that, but I get it. I just don't, you know, something like the Dave Matthews thing is fucked up. I'm sorry. That's like, how can you, like, you're an approachable guy. Like, how can you just... Slapping the phone out of the hand and seeing your phone break. In front of other reporters, too. They're just like, oh, sorry, dude. That's just... That was a dick move on his part. Some guy told me, you'll like this. My buddy's dad, after I finished college, was living up in North Jersey, and he lived up there, and I knew him a little bit. He was like, yo, let's go out to dinner. I was like, oh, this is great. This guy can give me advice. He's very successful. So we were talking, and he gave me some great advice that night. But I asked him at some point one of the stereotypical questions, like, 
I think this one was something along the lines of what, how did you get people to take you seriously mm. in your twenties and build a business like you did? Cause he was very successful from almost the jump. And he said, you know, it's funny you say that because I was sitting at a dinner with someone who had a similar age difference between you and me at the time, who was like me back, me now yeah. to you. And I asked him the same thing. And he said to me, Rob, every person you're sitting across from, I don't care if they're male, female, hot, ugly, rich, poor, without getting graphic, just remember that they take a shit too. Mm -hmm. And they do it the same way you do. <laughs> and I was like, damn, so I don't picture people taking a shit, but like right. I remember we're all just people in this world for a limited amount of time. Some have more attention than others, but like at the end of the day, the same yeah. type of neurons wire us and that's just what it is. It kind of goes back to chasing your passions. Like if you are passionate about being a garbage man and that fulfills you, great, awesome. Like that's the true version of yourself where Slash goes on to be one of the greatest guitarists of all time in rock and roll, Guns N' Roses. Again, a huge public figure, famous guy. He chose to pursue that because he's passionate about it, and it paid off for him. That doesn't make him better than you and I. No. no. Just because he has more Instagram followers than us, that doesn't make him better. Just because his bank account is bigger than us, doesn't make him better. He, he chose to live the life he wanted, and it paid off for him. And kudos to him, you know? This sad example, I, I think we were talking about this before we went on camera, but you were bringing up, like, Kurt Cobain in here. And it's like, you know, we see it now. He killed himself, and he was, he was a depressed tortured guy which is so sad because he was so talented so many people loved him but like i love that picture in here because that's when kurt cobain was happy yeah he gave him a cigarette and a guitar that's his well, element he's in his pocket exactly he's in his element that was when he was happy and i think his thing was he you know we made him out to be this guy where it's like there's him and then to use the example we were just using the trash men and everyone else and it's like that's not how he wanted it no. to be or saw it. He was just like, I'm just doing what I fucking love to do. That's all he wanted, yes. too. Yes. The fame, I, I mean, that's the I think that's old, what killed that, him. That's the lore, right? That he just couldn't handle being famous. Other people say Courtney Love was another reason. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I do. That's another discussion, but That's yeah. another discussion. I do think that the first one, I can't speak on the second one. I'm right. not nearly knowledgeable enough what was going on there. But I think the first one looking back on it, was, was a big part of it. And I, I worry about it with some great people who I respect in, in pop culture because I, I can see similar signs. And I, I hope that, like, society's at a point where we have the ability to reassure those people that, like, hey, you are, there's a reason we look up to you and you're important and you do so much good here. Right. Stay with us. And a lot of people loved him. Yeah. So, like, that's difficult. Like, how do you get inside? The, like, Dave Grohl, the drummer for Nirvana at the time, now Foo Fighters, face of rock and roll. Now, he's known to be the nicest guy in rock and roll. The fact that he didn't kind of rub off on that around being Kurt for as long as he was, three, four years, however long Nirvana was around in the early 90s, like, that, I think, speaks volume, too. That, what, do you, what do you mean, rub off? You know, like, surrounding yourself with happy people who bring great positive happy vibes all the time and you still are that tortured on the inside some of these great people man they 
And I'm not saying Kurt's an interesting one. I don't know if I could say this for sure about Kurt, so I won't. Other people I could. I've used an example of Robin Williams before that definitely for what I'm about to say. Universally loved. But that's the point. They live to make other people very happy, and they never make themselves happy. And they don't think they – I don't even want to say they don't think they deserve it, but it's like they are so busy taking care of all of us – that they don't take care of themselves. Well, that was one of his most famous quotes, too. He's like, I make sure that everyone involved in my life is happy because I know what it's like to feel worthless on the inside. Robin Williams said that? Yeah. No shit. When did he hey, say you've never that? seen that quote no. either? You're learning a lot today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's one of his most That's famous scary. quotes. I just got, like, goosebumps th- with you saying it, that. It, it, came, it became well more knowledgeable after he died. You know, Are we sure but, he said that, or that was like an Instagram quote that got attributed no, to him? No, he actually said he that. He said that in an interview. I, I don't know what year it was. It was in the early 2000s, I believe. Well, there you go. You're probably going to have to fact check that. Yeah, we'll, we'll go find that in a minute when we're done. But that's, I mean, I can't. That's exactly what I'm getting at. You know, and, and I have, and like a guy like that, we've heard a lot of anecdotes about what a cool guy he was. Like yeah. he was the Rob Schneider, like at all times, like yeah. that dude. And it's just so... It's hard to be on all the time. Yeah, man. And it's, I think about that with some people because I'm like, I just hope they realize that because like this is a good person and they're doing a lot of great things and there's a reason they have the attention they do. And like, I hope they don't feel worthless because they're not. But look, you don't know these people. You're not with them. I can't control it. What you can control is that society can give them enough vibes, hopefully. You ever hear Howard Stern's story on Robin Williams? interviewed him once in his career and it was in the midst of Howard Stern just being the ultimate shock jock Mm. just jerk of an interviewer I don't know if I've heard the story so tell me um basically he had Robin Williams on his show and he 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 self-admittedly today says I was not prepared for the interview was not in the right state of mind to do the interview so he was just being the character Howard Stern acting like a jackass and Robin Williams was just not about it, just asking him inappropriate questions left and right. Robin Williams felt disrespected. I don't know if he walked out of the interview or if just at the end of it, he's like, I'm never coming on this show again. Like, you blatantly disrespected me. And um, I want, again, that, that was probably in the 90s, early 2000s. Again, we could fact check that. But it was a long period of time when Howard Stern finally became, you know, civilized you could say like he's still kind of a shock jock but at the same time like he knows he made a lot of mistakes in his life as a young guy in radio now being an older gentleman that's interesting and he said that one day he's like i need to reconcile with robin williams and he gave him a call he didn't answer he said he left a voicemail he's like robin i'd love to get together i'm so sorry for the way i treated you like let's get together and try and hash things out and he said that was the day robin williams took his own life Wow. I have not heard that story. That's some weird universe shit right there. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for Howard Stern. I do. He gets a, you know, he's a little... He said it was one of the biggest regrets in his entire life that he didn't reach out sooner. (sighs) That's crazy, man. I don't know. You don't know that guy. I mean, we, we didn't know him. Nope. But, like, you feel like you did. He's one of those. So, I don't know. But looking at it, taking it a step more personally, 
there's no reason you shouldn't be saying or thinking the same thing in your own life with people around you. Mm-hmm. And I really try to do that. That is not something that I actively thought about ever. Nope. Even like a few years ago. And then somewhere along the way, maybe it was like getting a little older and understanding a few things and how complex things are. Now I get that urge once in a while. I'm like, oh, you got to call so-and-so. Yeah. How are they doing? You know? It's, it's, a, it's a very basic thing. But you, by the way, you get a ton out of it personally. You feel really good when you do that. It's not even just like this selfless act. You're selfishly selfless. Yes. And it feels very, it's very yeah. fulfilling. Yes. And it's doing a good thing too, as long as you're present. I mean, you got to be present. Yep. But yeah. You just never know, man. You never know what someone's going through. No. Mm, that's some deep shit, man. That's a good spot to end it. Um, but this, this was, this was a good convo. You got me wound up today. I'm going to review this tape and be like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Fact check everything I said. It could be a lie. I could be building my brand. <laughs> you never know. We will. We get some stuff wrong in here. When we notice it, I'll let people know. Catch new episodes of the O show for free available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. for full video versions of the podcast. Head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.